how do we start the show? Welcome to Fatal Error. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to Fatal Error. I'm I'm Chris. That's right. Uh, welcome <laughs> to Fatal Error. I'm Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Saroosh. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Python. Uh, Chris has been writing a lot of code in a lot of weird languages. And we kind of, I think, wanted to compare... Uh, Python to the other languages that we write on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I want to know more about what Chris's experience has been kind of picking up this new language. Yeah. So over the past several weeks at work, I've now written several thousand lines of Python. Uh, For a little bit of context, this is in a web application. And uh, it's written in Python 2.7 because Google App Engine doesn't support Python 3. And we're using the Pyramid web framework. And we can throw a link to all of this in the show notes. Cool, I'll take care of that. And so now that I have a bit of Python experience under my belt, we thought that it may be interesting to go through uh, my thoughts about writing Python so far, um, compare it maybe to Swift, which I'm obviously quite familiar with, and and to Objective-C, which I'm also pretty familiar with, and uh, see, I don't know, see what my, my thoughts and feelings are about Python so far. Cool. So you mentioned Python 2.7 specifically. Why do you call that out? So uh, several years ago now, Python 3 came out. And I mean, this was this isn't news by any, uh, any standard now. Uh, and Python 3 broke backward compatibility with uh, Python 2 in a few important ways, most notably that uh, Python 3 has sort of built-in Unicode support. Uh, whereas in Python 2, you still have like, strings and then you have Unicode type. And so doing uh, proper Unicode support in Python 2 is much harder than in Python 3. And porting code from Python 2 to 3 is uh, not trivial uh, because of, um, in large part, because of this like, string and Unicode change. Um, and I really haven't written any Python 3, mo- so I've, I've, I'm working entirely here with Python 2 and can't talk too much about that, the, those changes from 2 to 3 since I haven't, um, haven't really worked with it at all. Gotcha. So everything we're going to be talking about here is Python 2, which means it may not apply to some schools of Python, but it does still apply to a lot of people's code. Yeah, and um, I, I think that a lot of the stuff we're going to touch on is still, like, is still relevant in Python 3. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, actually, before we touch on on anything that I've noted specifically here, I just want to call out that, like, for writing a big application, I really wish that I had a, like, static type checker that ran on this code. Look, Chris, you don't need static types. You don't need anything but tests. Tests is the only programming tool that you'll ever need. And if you just use tests, it completely obviates every other tool that you can use for for writing code. Sorry, but that's just how it is. I feel like uh, we... (laughs) Did we do an episode on that Uncle Bob post? We did. He did another Uncle Bob post. Mm. Okay. Well, and it turns out, uh, not it turns out, I mean, everybody's known this for a long time, but he has really bad opinions about women in tech as well. So like, uh, I saw some tweet that was like, uh, if you can get past uh, Uncle Bob's really bad opinions about women, you can get to his really bad opinions (laughs) about programming. (laughs) It's pretty savage. That's brutal, but um, uh, fair. Yeah. Well, we'll link to our previous episode about about Uncle Bob's take on, but and, and so it's important. That like, yeah, yes, tests are important, but like not everything, depending on the, whatever framework you're using, maybe not everything is going to be is going to be testable. 
And like having a type checker just catches like stupid trivial errors, like uh, forgetting forgetting some parameter name or like I don't know. So many bugs that I've written in the last couple weeks would have been prevented just at the outset by having a static type checker rather than like waiting for something, be it a test or something else, to exercise this code path and then f- crashing at runtime. Like, I really wish that that I had some more confidence in this code as I was writing it. Yeah, that that's the number one thing that I find about working in JavaScript or, or anything like that. Uh, I've um, also been writing like, JavaScript. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, but that's, that's the first thing I notice. And like, I think that that's the right thing to call out as at the very, very top of the show. Now, I, I'm told that there are some, um, what do they call it? Like progressive type systems or like incremental type systems for that Python? You can use with Python. Yeah. Um, have you, do you know anything about those? Any experience or is that? No, like- I'm, I'm aware of some of these for JavaScript. Uh, but I, no one has told me about anything in Python. I'd be yeah. very curious, uh, to, if, do you have any, any references? I will put some stuff in the show notes. I don't know much about it other than I'm pretty sure it does exist. Interesting. So my next questions are, can, do, is it compatible with Pyramid and is it compatible with Google App Engine? Um, <laughs> uh, that I'm not sure. I have honestly no idea. Yeah, there's something called MyPy, optional static typing for Python. Huh. Oh, speaking of optionals, I really <laughs> want a, I, I want optionals. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the best. I've had bugs because things are just uh, because things are none, which is Python's equivalent of null. Uh, right. You know, where at I, least it I only didn't has one null. them to be. Can can we at least say that like it's nice that there's not like undefined null and like six other forms for something to be like not set. Really subtweeting JavaScript here. Yeah, really. I mean, I openly tweeted JavaScript at JavaScript. <laughs> your language is bad. <laughs> uh, no, that's definitely true, and. Uh, one thing to call out that that is kind of nice is that where you just have none in Python as your like null value or your nil value, uh, there are other things which are sensibly uh, like which get uh, you know which get coerced to a sensible boolean. So if you just write like uh, if not some value, uh, some value could be none. And then if not some value, th- that'll be true. Some value could be an empty list. Some value could be false. And, uh, like, I guess really what I'm getting at here is that, like, an empty list is, in Boolean comparisons, just interchangeable with none, which, if you're in, in writing sort of idiomatic Python-style code, works out fairly well. Yeah, um, I, I think any empty value in Python is falsy, so empty sets, empty right. dictionaries, yeah, empty yeah, strings, yeah. which I've got on record. I think that's actually really nice. Um, yeah, you have a blog post about this, don't you? Oh, what's it called? I do. Um, we'll, we'll link it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll find it for the show notes. Uh, but yeah, um, I think it's just called falsiness. Um, or falsiness in Swift. Uh, we won't, we won't, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but basically like most of the time when you want to check something about an array, like you will just want to check if it's empty or not. Like that's the thing you want to know. So. Yeah. 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 And, and Python gives you that just out of the box. Every empty value is just falsy and, more or less works. 
Yeah, and you can still compare explicitly to none if you really want to do that, but that's often not what you want to do. Uh, right. That's what I kind of started out doing, and then some of my coworkers in code review sort of like set set me straight on this. Um, uh, just ask, uh, you know, do a Boolean comparison with the thing, and it'll be fine. Um, something that you can't do with these values. Uh, this is something that I knew about and still wrote today and got corrected in a code review. Um, if you you can't use a something that's mutable as a default value for a p parameter for a method. So just like in Swift, you can write in Python some method declaration and set default values for parameters. So callers don't have to set all your like um, don't have to call your method with all of the arguments. Right. Makes sense so far. So far? So good. Yep. Uh, and if you're just doing, if you're just like using something like a, uh, I don't know, like none or like an integer, then that's fine. These are immutable values. But that's right. actually, uh, I forget exactly what the implementation detail that leads to this property is. But if you, let's say you want that default parameter to be like an empty list. You can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, because the the reference out it, it doesn't create a new empty list every time that function is called. Like that reference just lives throughout the entire uh, oh. lifetime of the program. So it's a static reference to right, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so if you like want so want to write a method that has an empty list as a default parameter. Uh, and you do the like trivial, straightforward thing, which is just put an empty list there, and then the function does something with the list and like adds something to it. Then the next time that function is called, uh, that list will not be empty, even, even. That's incredible. Yeah, and apparently this is still true even in Python three. It, it uh, that's that seems bad. Like yeah, I don't, I don't like that. That's just like that's a language implementation detail leaking through, and I really don't like it. So the thing to do is you have to set your default parameter to none, and then in the function check whether it's none, and uh, and set it to an empty list at that point. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And because none is immutable, you never have to worry about mutating it, right? So that's a that's a neat Python thing. I don't like that very much. That sounds really bad and hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really happy with that. Uh, other Python-y things that are just Python-y things that maybe aren't, are neither good nor bad. Uh, coming from Swift, I kept writing a lot of code that used map and filter because, like, I want to apply this function to this or to this list of things. That's map. I want to filter this list of things. That's filter. Um, and, my coworkers are slowly breaking this habit and making me use list comprehensions in most cases, uh, in many cases. So a, a list comprehension is basically a bit of syntax that lets you write. It's like, like in a, it's, it's basically like a for loop over, well. It's better than a for loop, right? So you, for, for a map, if you want to square all the numbers in a list, you would write, uh, you would write, x times x for x in my array, right? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's better than a for loop. It's sort of a but it's a declarative way to write that's still sort of imperative code, right? Right. So, it's idiomatic in Python to use this comprehensions over mapping and filtering. Is there any benefit? Like, is it faster? Is it uh, does it give you any extra abilities to use that syntax? Or is it just like, this is just how you write Python? Kind of, it's just how you write Python. 
lambda syntax in Python is not is not as nice as as it is in Swift. So if you're right. trying to use map and filter with lambdas, it uh, is a little bit less elegant. Um, there's still some things that you can only do with with like the with map and filter, right? For right. like if you if you literally just have a function that you want to like map uh, over list of of things. Then using map is still like is still nicer. Gotcha. And I forget the exact situation, but I have had one or two other cases where map and filter were the right solution. Um, I think it was where I wanted to map something and then filter it, uh, whereas list comprehensions would like filter and then map. Uh, and you could still write, you could still do this with two different list comprehensions, right? But that just seems right. I mean, yeah. So that's been something to get used to. Uh, we'll add some useful links on list comprehensions to the show notes. This is something that when I first came to this, I was like, uh, this is some some weird Python thing and it's very advanced and I don't understand it. I'm scared of it. Uh, it turns out that it's it's fine. And if you can write a for loop, you'll 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 fit right in like you can you can do this. Yeah, it reminds me of like just reordering the words in a for loop basically that's like real, in, that's what it is yeah like in ruby you you can write like do this thing on like if this case instead of writing if this case do this thing and it seems kind of like that yeah um i think so for a for a filterless comprehension you write x for x in my array if x equals zero or whatever right if x is even or something yeah right. exactly so in that way it's kind of is like a filter and then a map if you want it to be yeah you can do a filter then a map but it's harder to do a map and then a filter because of the way it's set up right you kind of you can't really do them in that order which is what i wanted in this case and so i gotcha. did get away with sneaking a map and a filter into, into the code base <laughs> nice um if you had better lambda syntax What's your preference? Would you prefer to do it the Python way or would you prefer to do it the Swift way? Hmm. I mean, my gut is that I would prefer to do it the Swift way, but the the map sint the syntax for the map function is also like the list and the function are parameters to map, which takes a little getting used to and throws people who are reading the code off, especially if they're used to Python. Um I don't know. I if I were working on a Python code base with other people, I would use list comprehensions because that's a thing to do in Python. Fair I, enough. Yeah. I, I if if lambda syntax were nicer, then I would probably personally still prefer the map and filter primitives. But uh, that's not Python, and so whatever, that's fine. <laughs> right. And then my other question here is: Are map and filter built in? Yeah, they're built into the language. They're nice first class. Right, they're just built in the standard library. You can just use them. Yep, and functions are 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 first class, so you can pass them around and and just like pass the name of a function as an argument to map, and it'll work. Right, that's nice. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, you just write like array dot or list dot map, basically. Well, you don't. You write like map, and then the parameters are the list and the function that you want to apply to the oh, list. Oh, it's a free function. Yeah, interesting. So it's more. I... Interesting. Okay. More like functional programming language style, but apparently you're not allowed to use it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, does it work for other types of, for lack of a better word, sequences and collections? Uh, like, can you map over a dictionary? Can you map over a string? 
I believe that you can map over anything that's iterable, and maybe you can map other over other things, but I'm not totally sure. Right, because because you could like you have like a range in Python too. Like you could do like range ten, and it'll give you the numbers one through ten. Can you map over that? I assume so, because I assume that's iterable. I know yeah, that you can okay, you cool. can iterate over dictionary keys and values, so I assume you can map over that. I haven't tried it, but I don't see why that wouldn't work. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So that's nice. Yeah. Uh, that seems pretty good. What else do we have? Everything is passed by reference, and that is just something to keep in mind. <laughs> I don't think I have too much else to say about that. Uh, that's just uh, there. There's no pass by value, which is a little bit disappointing. That's just how the world is. Uh, do you even? I guess numbers just aren't mutable, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any language that makes numbers mutable. Like even Ruby, where everything's mutable, I don't think you can really mutate a number. Is there like every operation that you do to a number? returns a new number that's probably how it should be <laughs> yeah i mean i think so too but you know with ruby there's no telling that's true um, um so you're basically very spoiled by swift's structured enum system yeah yeah i really like yeah. swift <laughs> yeah it's a good language it's really nice um is there any way to mark something as immutable like say okay i have this list i want to make it like not ever changeable like in the way you would like you would call copy on an NS mutable hmm. array. No, in I don't think there's any way to do that. Yeah, it's just it's always mutable all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm realizing that if I'm wrong about any of this stuff, we're going to get so much. Uh, I would love to get some emails. So, many, Email so me. much feedback. Email me, Chris at designback dot com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Email Chris. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. I'm so I want to scroll through some other pull requests here and just note things that are like people have pointed out to me that are gotchas. Um, there's a lot of like references to PEP8, which is just a like formatting document because I haven't been formatting my Python exactly right. Uh, at some point, I should actually read through PEP8 and memorize it, but I haven't done that yet. So I have a question about the PEPs. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of PEP20. Do you know PEP20? I don't. Let me uh, Google this right now. Check it out. It's called the Zen of Python. And it, it lays out a bunch of rules. It might be 20 rules. Yeah. Yeah. The rules are some stuff like beautiful is better than ugly. Explicit is better than implicit. Simple is better than complex. Complex is better than complicated. Flat is better than nested. Sparse is better than dense. Readability counts. Mm -hmm. And so on. Um, I was going to say, I'm like, going to read all these here. <laughs> I mean, I could. I, people are driving in their cars. You know, they don't. They don't have time to pull over and uh, and read these rules. So these rules are really good, and I actually think they apply to more languages than just Python. I really like them, and I refer to them when, um, like, when I can, basically, like when I need to have, like, fall on the certain, fall on a certain side of one of these rules. I like, I like lean on this document. Uh, it's called PEP twenty. Um, there's also PEP8, which is looks like this is for like how to style your code. That's how to format um, your code, basically. Right, right. Where to put new lines, where to put spaces, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sound frustrated. Oh, I mean, it's just like, I don't know, starting starting anything new and, and being and having people be like, well, no, this this is the style for this. Like, okay, right, fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's consistent, right? Right. And I mean, yeah, it's consistent and it's fine. It's just like stuff to to memorize, right? 
Yeah. So what are the other peps like? So I'm are not, they just one through twenty? Like I, there no 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 there there are hundreds, um, hundreds of peps. You can look at PEP zero, which is the index of Python enhancement proposals. Um, oh wow! Oh, Python enhancement proposal PEP. I think this is analogous, somewhat analogous to Swift evolution proposals. Interesting. Like I don't actually know that much about how the Python project is managed, but I'm pretty sure this is. Uh, I don't know that these are like manifestos or evolution proposals or whatever you want to call them. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess these are like official documents that they're willing to kind of commit to. And some of them aren't really like some of them are like make uh, make the print statement into a function, like things that just happened once. And some are more like reference documents, more like RFCs. So right. uh, I guess I don't know that much about the like process behind peps but uh they exist and i refer to them at times to learn about how, <laughs> how to format it's good things to have it's good to have like a knowledge base of like how to do stuff how stuff changed it seems really nice yeah yeah definitely so pep, pep zero we'll have to throw that in the show notes too absolutely along with pep 20 yeah. pep, tw- pep 20 is a great pep you know as far as peps go great pep yeah <laughs> I wonder if they would accept a Swift evolution proposal that just had had stuff in it like like beautiful is better than ugly. You could try it. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you could try it. Um, uh, you'd have to find someone to implement that. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So Pep Eight has been has been driving you crazy. I mean, not driving me crazy. It's been uh, a a consistent presence in my life. Uh, is there any kind of <laughs> uh, <laughs> for better, just for background worse. background radiation of of me writing Python? What's the tooling like? And I, I mean specifically in this case, like, is there something like Go format where like every time you check something in, I could just like format your code to to map, map to pip eight? I don't think so, but well, well, if you don't know of one, that's I'm kind not of, a, that kind of I'm not aware question. of one. I, yeah, that kind of answers the question. Like, is there one that's like popular and common, or is there, um, or is it just like Wild West? Yeah, none that uh, none that I've that I'm aware of, but I'm sure that so that several people have written tools that do that. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Metaprogramming is a thing in Python. Uh, I love metaprogramming. Yeah, and w- there's not a lot of this in the project. There's some like extend an object with functions from another file uh which um you know kind of like we do in swift with extensions so that's fine um right, kind of like a module in like a mix in exactly yeah Ruby. yeah yeah you can um they're they're like if you just have a string that is like i want to get this attribute of a function of a uh, class then you can do that um and those are maybe the only real metaprogramming things that I've done so far. Oh, there's another tool where, like, the tool relies on just, like, iterating subclasses of um, of one of its base classes. But that tool's kind of hacky. Uh, nice. Open source, though. <laughs> uh, that absolves all sins, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know that much about metaprogramming in Python. Just want to call out that, that that's a thing. Yeah, the little Python I've written... Like there's some handles into the metaprogramming stuff with like the underscore underscore functions, which are also 
Yeah. Right? Like you well, can have underscore underscore init underscore underscore. And that's like the init function. Right. But you can also use that to like access which function you're currently in. Yeah, there's some magic things like that. And underscore yeah. underscore is kind of overloaded too, as I understand if you just like create a function or method or uh like class um instance variable class variable that starts with underscore underscore i think that that is not accessible outside the module at all and that the runtime does some name mangling to to keep that thing private oh that's kind of cool i do like that i mean it's cool but also okay so you have some level of access control but it is like based on the name of this thing starting with a magic two underscores Right. Uh, that doesn't seem yeah. nice to me. I guess it it is better when it's built into language and you could say, like, this is internal or this is private. Yeah, well, I mean, it's built into the language, but it's like, I don't know, that, that seems... Um, uh, it, it may be simple, but it certainly isn't beautiful. Right, there you go. A little pep, pep 20 joke. One of the one of the things that I that I said in the in the, the talk that I'm currently giving, um it's called You Deserve Nice Things. Uh, is like a lot of times with code, we just end up making an alias for something in our head. And that's like insane because we could just make the alias in the code because we control a code. And so like if underscore underscore is like uh, a talisman that means private, just why can't we just put the word private there? You know? Yeah. 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 So put the aliases in the code, people. Don't put them in your head. So that's a good thing to know about if you're writing Python, but also kind of unfortunate. Um, let's see, what else? So flipping over to some recent code reviews, I wanted to just like literally scroll through and see um, what else. Python will let you do some weird things. There's one case where I had named a function um, argument filter. Uh, and as previously discussed, filter is a built-in free function. I didn't, I, I forgot that well, somehow when I was writing this method. And so just within this method, like it, it worked and it was fine. I think what happened was within the scope of this method, I had replaced the filter function or, or overloaded that name with my argument. And it just wouldn't have been possible to use the filter free function, which seems like a weird thing for a runtime to let you do without any like warning or or error yeah i feel like it should definitely at least tell you that that happened yeah but it yeah. It, it didn't and so that was weird yeah the, the problem with that is there are some cases i mean swift has this problem too where there's some cases where you intentionally do want to uh like shadow something yeah and but with swift you not make, have access to it with swift well with swift if you want to do that with a name that's built in you have uh the you you can put back ticks around it and if you want to do it with a variable you can you can shadow names but um i don't think you can just shadow the names of like free functions in swift without at least telling the compiler that you're intending to do it uh you can shadow you can shadow free functions because you can still access them with like Swift dot free function name, and it doesn't warn you. Whoa! Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait. Ooh, hmm. 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 Okay. Yeah, because like you can shadow. What's a really common example? Like you can shadow error, right? The type name, and then you could do Swift dot error to access the like protocol. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. 
How does that interact with module boundaries in Swift? Man, I'm I'm, I'm behind on my Swift these days. Uh, how does it interact with module boundaries? Okay, so so if you were within the like Swift standard library module, I assume that you couldn't uh, shadow the error type, or like I, I assume that in Swift you can only shadow types from other modules. If what you're right. telling I me believe, is true, yeah, that that'll give you an error if you try to have two types uh in the same module with the same name that will give you an error okay so if you had a a protocol named error and then you had a struct named error that will give you an that will give you a compile time error okay but across module boundaries it's fine and then sort of similarly uh free functions work the same way they're just sort of references in the global namespace so if you what's an example of a free function in swift min if you override min and you want to access the Swift version, you could type like swift.min, and that will give you um, the Swift version of it. Hmm. But you can't override the same free function. Well, you, you can overload the same free function in the same module, but you can't over, override it. Huh. That's um, interesting. The, I, hmm. 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 Is min actually a free function? Min is a free function, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I did not actually know that about Swift. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. I have I have one sort of unrelated question, which is yeah. Uh, let's hear it. Do you have any uh, intention or plan of pitching that some of these web tools are written in server side Swift? I that's an that's a good question. Um, probably not because the, this tool is pretty, it's pretty tied into Google app engine. It uses, mm. um, it uses Google, uh, big table, I think. Yeah. You big table, um, for, for like data storage of, uh, a, a whole lot of data. Um, and it's generally fairly tied to the Google ecosystem and I don't think Google supports, uh, Swift. Right. That sounds right to me. Yeah, seems fair. Plus But any what about other other tools? Uh I mean other tools we haven't I, I haven't run into a case where we're starting a new tool. Uh if we were starting something new, um and it were depending on it depending on exactly what it was, I definitely would try to pitch it being written in Swift. Um I think that I mean my experience thus far has been that like I don't really like writing really big projects in Python. Mm-hmm. I, I like writing them in Swift. I like writing them in I don't know other uh, other statically type checked languages. Uh, small go. go yeah. Um, smaller smaller projects like you know a couple scripts that work together uh, that, that do something useful. Python Python's fine. Swift may be overkill depending on the tool. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is that I wouldn't recommend right now that we, like, try to rewrite any of these things in Swift. And um, uh, I'm not starting anything, any new tools right now. Right, right, right. But, like, that makes sense. This whole site would be a big thing to rewrite in Swift. And everyone else on the team, uh, everyone else who works on the site uh, would have to learn Swift. And we'd have to... Um, you know, we'd have to figure out what our tool chain, like there, there'd be a lot to put in place. Yeah, for sure. And you'd have to teach them optionals. 
Yeah. There would be a lot to teach. Well, I uh, think optionals that, are not easy. Uh, I think that everyone who's working on this code base is familiar with with uh, an option type or maybe type. Um, oh, that's good. And in fact, complains about its la- its uh, absence in Go. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and in Python. But yeah, Go really right. should have. Uh, Every language should have a, a result type and uh, an option type. I still can't believe the the bad choices they made with with Go. Well, yeah, I mean it's 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 C, but with um, it's C, but slightly better. Very slightly. Uh, one of the things I was saying. Well, I mean, to, they, uh, they give it some credit. I mean, it's not. I wish. It, it has any number of problems, but like it, it does take away a lot of the problems with that C had. Yeah, it does. So one of the things I was saying um, to Jason, who's been on the show before, a friend of the show, hi Jason, uh, is that um, there have been like several attempts to like fix C and make it like good, uh, starting all the way back to C plus plus. With I think Java has the same problem. Um, where it like fixed some of the stuff about C, but didn't fix other things like the primitive object distinction, um, and then Go, and then I think now finally Swift, and I think you know with each crack at the problem, we do a little bit better at fixing it, but like it's very lipstick on a pig at the end of the day. So I'm a little bit hesitant to put Swift and like Java in the and even C plus plus in a way in the like quote unquote fixing C. Because, uh, like, even C++ and C are trying to solve different problems. Uh, I do think that things get better with every... Iter- like, I think um, Swift and, and C-sharp are better than uh, Java and C++. I think right. that Go is better than C. I don't see... Um, I, I think that Rust is better than um, uh, C and C++ and Java. And But I don't know if I quite buy a, like... You don't see a through line there. I, I think it's more branchy. Yeah, and maybe it is a little branchy. Think think of it as a directed acyclic graph. Uh, well, I don't want to correct your joke too much, but which of the nodes point? I guess there's no cycles. Yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm done for this show. <laughs> joke joke approved. Yay! Uh, with that, you want to you want to wrap the show up? Uh, sure. I. I hope this has been interesting. Um, I, I just thought that... You don't need to make excuses, Chris. This is, a, this is a good show. I hope so. I hope so. I just thought it may be interesting to like go over some of the stuff that I've been noticing as I work with different languages than, than what I've been doing for the last several years. It's been a learning experience for me, and there are things that I like and things that I don't like about uh, Python and about various other languages. And uh, yeah, please tell me what I got wrong, because I have not been writing python professionally for very long (laughs) (laughs) yeah um no i mean i think like to understand our language well we need to understand the other languages that it exists in the universe with yeah and yeah without that like we don't know how things would be better we don't know how things would be worse um we just kind of have blinders on um in the same way that I think it's good to learn other spoken or written languages, it's also good to learn other programming languages. So absolutely, yeah. So 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 getting this context, I think, is really really cool. Yeah, and just well, uh, since, since I feel like I just delivered a bunch of like caveats and gotchas about Python, um, I mean, Swift isn't totally without this sort of thing. Uh, you have to know about optionals and um, 
and, and while I think that's a good thing, that is something you have to that may be surprising for someone coming to Swift. Uh, I recently had to explain to someone the um, at, at obj-c, uh directive <laughs> in Swift, which is like Swift is uh, great until you get to the like Objective C interrupt parts, and then you're like, well, yeah. Uh, let, let me there let me even... tell you about next step. Yeah, there are even non-objective C interrupt parts that are just like, well, this is a really unfortunate accident of history that we can just never fix. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, Swift isn't perfect. Python isn't perfect. Computers. <laughs> Shake your fist angrily. Yeah. Old man yells at computers. Uh, with that, Chris, it was uh, it was a pleasure. This has been fun. As always, thank you for chatting, Sarush. Uh, we want to uh, give a shout out to uh, our Patreon supporters who uh, get an extra episode or who get every episode that we publish. Um, they they get the even numbered episodes and they make the show possible. Uh, and uh, thank you very much to them for their support. We'll link to Patreon in the show notes. This is the last episode uh, or the last uh, episode that will be not on Patreon uh of this season are we on season three sarush we are on season three so yeah, this is the last public episode of season three so we're gonna take a break for five or six weeks and be back probably with a new format we'll see yeah at the start of the year we might get a new format and patreon people you get one more episode so get excited for that it's gonna be a fun one it will be um <laughs> yeah it's gonna it's gonna be worth it's gonna be worth it uh but then yeah five six weeks off and then we're back in the new year with uh season uh four season four season four are we committing publicly to season four here chris i i we're, i'm committing publicly to at least trying uh you know as uh like we said at the very beginning uh we or i reserve the right to to stop doing this if it becomes uh too too stressful or too much uh you know if there's too much on on my plate or on our plates yeah, um, seems reasonable but uh you know it, it's a best effort podcast <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. Uh, talk to you next week, Chris. Bye, Sirish.